0: you can make it too. Like I said, I started in a tire shop and and, and, and changing tires and selling tires and selling oil changes. And, and, and now I'm at one of the larger high tech companies in, in Silicon Valley. So, you know, you can make it there as well. It, it, it's hard work and it's perseverance and it's pushing forward. And it's, it's knowing that you have the capability to do it, building your net worth and building your portfolio. It's not hard.
1: You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 210. Clark, what's going on in your world? How you doing? Dude, doing pretty well. How are you? Doing great, man. Just uh, getting excited here for uh, Halloween. You get dressing up this year?
2: <laughs> I don't think this year. Are you?
1: You know, my kids are, are, are obviously getting dressed up and stuff. And I've we've always done these family costumes until this year. The kids wanted to do their own thing. So, my little guy is going to be Mickey Mouse. And my daughter has moved between three different costumes already as various Disney princesses. So... We've kind of destroyed that. I guess we could kind of go with the role of the Disney theme, but I'll probably just put on one of the former costumes that I've rotated through. I think one year I was Daddy Shark, which and, is what—well, Daddy Shark—and then I've got a—I uh, don't even know—a Santa outfit, and I've got—I've got all sorts of stuff in the costume closet that we've done over the years, and <laughs> let's put something on. What did you dress up as last year? The year before?
2: Oh, I don't remember. We did like Flo and Jake from State Farm, the insurance. We did two characters. We did, I don't know, a couple other things.
1: You know, before we had kids, my wife and I did a, I was Ubered and she was Lyft and we won a couple costume contests with that. That was pretty funny back in the day. Yeah, I I don't know, man. We'll see. I'll I'll throw something on this week a few times probably for the kids and entertain them and get a few laughs, but... (laughs) <laughs> speaking of kids, so I've been doing a bunch of stuff related to planning for my kids and obviously, we've got a new baby here on the way. One thing I've been looking into is is just planning for college and whatnot and 529s and ESAs. And one thing that I came across and learned, which is kind of ironic given that I've spent so much time in this world, basically, those are the two main things that you can Vehicles you can use the same five twenty nine. Just for those who don't know, are typically state sponsored, and sometimes if you're in a state that's got a state income tax, you can get a deduction for contributing to those. But the the states kind of have control of those plans and investment options and whatnot, and you can add a lot more, contribute a lot more. There's a little bit more flexibility. Whereas the ESA, you're capped at two thousand dollars. They've got income limits, but your investment options are are typically a lot more free. And up until recently, it was really You know, the 529s in some regards were a lot more restrictive. They still are a little bit, but there's, they've they've opened those up and rules have changed a lot. But one thing that's interesting about the ESAs that I learned this week and, or you and I were talking about a little bit is, you know, you've got these income limits, 110,000, I think it is, and 220 if you're married, that you're not able to contribute, but there's a loophole in this, in the IRS. And I didn't know this until I got on the IRS's website. I don't know, it's a little nerdy. But it says organizations such as corporations and trusts can also contribute regardless of their adjusted gross income. So, the loophole is if you're an individual and you make over two, or 110 or as a couple 220 you can't contribute to your child's ESA. But there's backdoor ways, one, gifting them the money and letting them contribute. Or if you just contribute through a corporation. <laughs> so... Granted, it's still capped at $2,000, but anyway, I thought that was pretty interesting. I, I feel like as complex as the tax code is, there's always back ways and different ways of approaching things. And I know that some of these things are, are up for debate and voting here in Congress and whether, you know, Roth rules are going to change and whatnot. But it, it's interesting, I think, to, as you dig into these and experience these things, I mean, ESAs and 529s are never worried about. Too much until I had kids. And Clark doesn't. You're not worried about that stuff right now, are you yet, Clark?
2: Yeah, no. Thinking about it, I mean, it seems like the Ross stuff's probably going to get squashed, or they don't quite have the votes. But since you've been doing the research, just big picture, what, what's the differences or the biggest differences that people should be aware of between education saving accounts and five twenty nine?
1: I think the big thing, at least in my mind, is just the the investment flexibility. And then the limits. So ESA, I mean, you can't put any more than two thousand dollars in there, and you can't contribute after a, a child or a minor essentially is eighteen years old. So those, th- th- you're kind of restricted in that regard. Whereas the the five twenty nines are more of a free for all, and it's not a free for all exactly, but there there are some limits, but the limits are extremely high. And you can essentially front load those uh but the the investment options to some degree are a little more restrictive, and they're it's a state sponsored deal so those are kind of the two main things and obviously just it, it depends on your situation and whether or not you think your kid's probably going to go to college or not how much you want to fund those and whether you want to you know participate in one state or another and you can you can participate in any state's plan really uh not just the state you live in if that state has one or not but the tax deductions get a little dicey if, if you're looking for that specific. So it's something you, you definitely got to do your research on and maybe even consult an advisor depending on your situation. But those are the two main things, high levels that the, the limits, the income limits on the ESAs and then the investment options between the two, I think are, are the two things to be most aware of uh, between the two different kinds of plans.
2: Besides just the 529s and the ESAs, you could do a Roth IRA for your kid, right? So, obviously, they have to have some sort of earned income or be old enough that they're actually working to have the earned income, but you could contribute to a Roth IRA, and then they could withdraw money for that for education expenses tax-free. So, that's just another option when you're considering the 529 and the ESA.
1: Yeah, totally. And that is a good point, and that's something that I plan on, on doing with my kids down the road. Just to provide a more flexibility in, in the event that they don't go a traditional route or in the event that they get scholarships and they don't need some of this money that that is, you know, held in traditional accounts. You really got to use it for education or it's really expensive uh, to, to withdraw and not use that. But at any rate, interesting topic in your discussion. It'll be interesting to see how these things and the Roths take shape uh, in Congress and voting and whatnot over the next few months. But we'll see how it goes. So this week, we have John. He works in the auto industry. He has a net worth of $1.7 million, 670000 in public security, split up between a 401k, about a half a million, and brokerage account, about 170000 He does have some individual stocks. He has about a million dollars in real estate equity, one rental, and then primary residence. We discuss his desire to build up his rental portfolio and the importance of career management. It's a super good interview with John. Really looking forward to this episode. Last week we had Dion. He has a net worth of 1.25 million, all of it in real estate. It's about eighty thousand dollars in passive income and works for a nonprofit that helps place CDL drivers. It's a great American success stories. So go check that episode out. That's episode two zero nine. Once again, if you'd like to ask a millionaire a question or us a question, you can go to our website or send us an email. We also have a, if you want to voice in a question, we'll play that on on the on the episode. Also we have a survey at the bottom of today's episode. If you'd go fill that out, that'd be great. Help us cater some of the content of the show to, to better serve the audience. Without any further delay, let's get into the episode with John. John, do you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for thanks for having me, guys. So, yeah, I got kind of a, an interesting story that I was excited to share with everybody. We've talked a little bit about is... Uh, uh, my, my background's in the uh, automotive space and and specifically just more so in like the, the, the service side of the industry and uh, maintaining and repairing cars, which doesn't sound all that exciting. But I actually went to school for it and got a formal four year degree for it, which is not something that a whole lot of people in this industry think of your, you know, your Jiffy Lube or your tire repair places or say maybe your dealership service advisor uh, most of those guys have just went in and started to work and just worked their way up, but I decided I wanted to go into college, but I didn't know what I wanted to do and At the time, you have your your high school advisor career advisor, and I went to her and she uh said, "Do what you love and uh, I have mixed feelings about that, and we can always get into that later um because i i I might have given myself other advice had I been on the other side of that table knowing what I do now. That's hindsight, but uh, she said, do what you love. And I loved cars. Uh, I had always modified them as a kid growing up, and it was something I was passionate about. So I went to school and I got a double major in automotive technology and uh, business management. They kind of had blended degrees where you could go for the design side, the purely mechanical side, or the business side. And I always had a businessman's mindset. So I went for that. And then coming out of college, we were in the Midwest area at the time. And I, I did probably the worst thing that I could do, um, but I was excited to make money. And I came out and I just uh, took the first job that was offered to me. And it's actually kind of funny story because I came home one day and my mom told me, she goes, hey, I got a uh, interview for you at a tire shop where we go to get our car service." And I had just got done with college. I was like, hey, great. That sounds awesome. And so I went in and they saw that I had a formal four-year college degree. And they were very excited about that. So they put me in as a service manager. And it was good money uh, at the time. But it was uh, it was definitely a uh, clock in, clock out type of work. So from there, I'd, I'd, I've moved over the course of the last 15 years. I started in the Midwest and I moved there through dealerships. And also for about four or five years, I I ran one of the larger classic car uh, muscle car restoration companies uh, in the United States. And I was a general manager for them. So that was my first real opportunity in senior management. And then uh, my wife and I got an opportunity about seven, seven and a half years ago to take a job out in California. And so we moved out there, which it was really exciting because i remember once visiting san francisco and we were just walking around golden gate park and we said can you believe people live here and it, we always knew that we would love to go out if we had the chance to so when the opportunity came up we jumped on it we moved out and at that time i was just looking for any opportunity that i could that would help support the family so i took on another dealership opportunity as a service advisor and it was, it was good money. It was a stable job. It was a good opportunity at the time. And it also had a really good schedule, which allowed me to get my real estate license. I, I thought at the time that I might want to try to do some real estate work on the side because it was a very flexible schedule. It was like six out of seven days on, six out of seven days off. So I was hoping I could work on the side as a side gig and start doing real estate. But I found that to be extremely competitive, especially out in uh, California. So I never really actually utilized it in a professional sense. But from that dealership, I moved into a small startup, also in the automotive industry, as an online car dealer. And I was working on their back end as, as their service manager, managing the repairs to the vehicles as they came in before they went uh, up for sale. And then from there, for the last couple of years, I've moved into uh, also in the automotive space, but more of a high tech company in the in the automotive space. But I, I tell that whole story to just let you know that I've, I've worked my way up. Um, I didn't come out of college with a degree that allowed me to jump into a high paying job, uh, in a high tech company. Uh, but more so I've spent the last 14, 15 years working extremely hard and, um, networking, improving myself and building up my resume in order to get to the position, uh, that I'm at today. So now I'm working at that high tech company and like most of us, I'm work from home as we're shelter in place. So. I'm currently back in the Midwest, loving the support system of uh, the family helping with uh, our two kids.
1: Well, that's awesome, and and it's it's quite amazing. I think probably you're one of the first people that, that we've had that's been in you know an automotive or tech, and you know merging those two. Which I feel like just in general, you know, a lot of the headlines, especially with Tesla and stuff, right now, we're, we're gravitating towards that. Right, we're we're getting more. You know, autonomous technology in our vehicles and we're getting, you know, there's so many startups in the space just here in Austin. We've got a a, a truck company that uh, called Hylion that's, that's highly valued and it's just down the street from my house. Actually had no idea it even existed until about three months ago. So it's kind of crazy, but it's awesome to have you on the show and and we're glad you're here. So John, what is your net worth today?
0: Yeah, my current net worth it, it, it fluctuates. A little bit because I do have some real estate in there. Actually, a large portion is real estate, but right about 1. 1.6, 1. 1.7, give or take.
1: Okay. And how is that broken up?
0: So I have roughly 670,000 right now that's in investment funds. Uh, that's a mix of 401k and uh, traditional brokerages and then uh, a little bit in a REIT and some 529s uh, the 529s, I, I, I could go either way, but it is, it is money I've invested in. it is growing. So uh, I see that as part of the net worth. And then on the property, we have, we're a little bit heavier on the property, excluding the two, uh, the two cars. We're sitting at about 2.3 million in, uh, property. And of that, we have roughly, about 1 million in equity.
1: Oh, that's pretty amazing. So, when when did you buy that house, just curious?
0: <laughs> yeah, so the two, the the most recent one is a, is a rental property. So, I'm I'm definitely uh extremely passionate uh in in my plan um my 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 plan for uh, financial independence i'm not so sure about the retire early part but for financial independence um to to build up a rental portfolio so that one is a uh recent purchase of about 4 to 5 months and then the primary residence uh which is the the large chunk of that i bought roughly 3 years ago and uh california real estate being what it is We did get in it right. And this is kind of where that, that, uh, why I mentioned the real estate license. I acted as my own agent, my own buying agent. And that helped because we were really pushing our budget to buy this house. And, um, I was able to give back my, uh, my fee as the buying agent to the owner. And so that kind of pushed them over over the edge. Uh, my cute six-year-old at the time, she helped sell the deal, but uh, that also uh, helped see us uh, sell the deal. And so we bought that home for right about 1.5, and both on Redfin and Zillow, and considering the home across the street just sold, and it's not anywhere near as nice as our home, it's valued roughly about two. And that's conservative. So it's gained about $500,000 in value in the last three years. But it did that also, roughly the four years before that as well. So in the seven years that we've been in California, that home has gone from about $1 million to $2 million.
2: Nice. So let me, John. I want to come back to your career, but let me first just dig in a little bit more to your your allocation here and your net worth. So about six hundred and fifty thousand in the markets, right? Between a, a variety of different type of accounts. How much of that is specifically in retirement accounts?
0: Good question. That is roughly going to be probably about about uh, four hundred thousand. No, sorry, five hundred thousand. Five hundred thousand out of the six seventy of uh, four uh,
2: hundred one k's. Okay, and then after that, I assume the other one, the other biggest bucket, would just be investment accounts. How much in your? I think you mentioned HSA, right?
0: Actually, I don't, and and I've I've often looked at that. Um, there's that account, and then I've also looked at a Mega Backer Roth, which we have as an option, but I haven't delved into quite yet. We just got that this year. Um, so my main two other accounts is a TradeKing uh, brokerage account, and that one has. It's about seventy five thousand in it. That's all in individual stocks. So that's more of my my play money, where I just put a you know something on the on the table and hope it hope it hits. And that's actually where I probably had most of my my big wins. Um, but then I also have a, a, a wealth front account, uh, which is about ninety three thousand, and that one's done very well for me as well. And I I appreciate how they diversify in in kind of broad market based international, domestic, and emerging market funds.
2: Yeah, and then you have one rental right outside your primary residence. Correct. We have one rental. And was that a home you used to live in, or did you buy it as a rental? How'd you get that?
0: Yeah, so we actually I've i been in the in kind of the real estate game for a little bit just with friends. So we we have one uh, investment opportunity, I'll call it I don't know what to exactly call it. But uh, we invest working capital uh, with uh, a company up in uh, northern California where they flip homes. And that returns a uh, 10% per year. Uh, return on our investment to him for that working capital, and so hopefully the next home that I'm going to buy is through him, where he has done some flips actually out in Ohio. So I'm looking to purchase two hundred thousand dollar homes, give or take, uh, early next year uh, that he's done flips. So it's that that's to say it's through somebody I know. So the one I currently purchased, also we have a friend that purchased in that same area, and they knew they knew the agent they knew the property management company. Um, we knew the area and we knew that there was a whole bunch of uh, very large companies that were coming into that area. So we also knew that the potential for growth and rapid growth and rapid appreciation um, was very likely. And we actually happened to get in right at the right time. It We got in four or five months ago for 250, like 257, I want to say. And the home, is currently sitting at as an, uh, uh, an appraisal on Redfin, but also by two homes that are identical to it, uh, right behind it that are selling and one's up for sale. Now it's appraising for about 300,000 and that's only hmm. over like four or five months. It's, it's gained roughly about $45,000 in value in that time. Just, I, I think it's due to the pandemic and just due to some, some lucky timing on
2: my part. Yeah, it's amazing, right? During the pandemic, how much the, the real estate market has boomed in, in the single family home, especially in areas outside of the city. Pretty crazy when you, when you start looking at
1: how much home prices have gone up. Let's take a quick break with the episode with John and talk a little bit about our sponsor today, BetterHelp. Oftentimes, we talk to millionaires about happiness. We talk about, to them about their lives, their investments, what drives them, where they want to go in their future. Sometimes they have roadblocks. One way to help with some of those roadblocks is BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a professional counseling company done securely online. You get paired with a licensed professional counselor who specialize in assisting with depression, stress, anxiety, sleep, trauma, family conflicts, grief, and more. Some of these things we all experience on a daily basis. It's more affordable than traditional counseling, and it's easy as a phone call or an online meeting. And anything you share stays confidential. So go check out BetterHelp. As a listener, you'll get a 10% off your first month of counseling. So join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health and head to betterhelp.com slash unveiled. And thanks BetterHelp for sponsoring the show today.
2: So, John, let me just circle back to your career here, because I think yours is an interesting story. And and you mentioned that you worked hard at this career, right? 13 to 15 years or so, I I believe you said. How Mm -hmm. were you able to move up in your career, increase your earnings? One of the things you mentioned to us before we started recording is it's not always what you know, it's who you know. So Mm -hmm. just curious to get your take on on career management here.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, so for the, I would say for the first 10 years or so, that was just the work hard and prove myself component of things. Everywhere that I went, it didn't matter what I was doing. I I, I could be selling tires, selling a timing belt, doing a uh, free oil change because that's what the package came with at a dealership. Uh, it, it didn't matter what I was doing. I gave it 110%. I always did. and And through that, I was always viewed as one of the best salespeople or managers uh, within the company that I was at. And and so that helped not only my finances that, that helped us, you know, grow our income, um, because a lot of it was commission based, but it also just grew that network of people that knew me and respected me. And so I think there's, you know, there's the two types of networks, there's the type of people that you can reach out to and say, can you help me get a job? Do you have any openings? Do you know anybody? And then there's also the people that you can call on that says, hey, I'm, I'm applying for this job. Can, can you represent me? Do you mind speaking on my behalf? And, and so those first 10 years, it was more so, do you mind speaking on my behalf? I'm looking to take this next, this next job, this next position. Once I get out to California, that's a pretty tight-knit area. It, it, it's like a little city that, that exist in its, its own ecosystem, I'm trying to think of the right word, uh, where a lot of people know each other. You have a lot of companies that are fighting for talents, such as, you know, Facebook, Rivian, Apple, Google, Waymo, Cruise, uh, Tesla. You have all these companies that are fighting, fighting for talents. And, and so a lot of people know each other. And if you do really, really well, and you prove yourself People will reach out to you. And, and so that's actually what happened at, at my most recent two jobs is, is I had people reaching out to me, uh, asking if I would be interested in taking a position. So I actually, the, the current position that I'm in, my old boss's boss left the company and, uh, returned to, to, to an outside country he actually brought me in and suggested me for the job. And I wasn't even really looking at the time. And so that was the biggest, the biggest opportunity that I have. And, and then also when it comes to, uh, unfortunately, I will say there is ways that you can go about asking for more money, you can negotiate at your current job. Unfortunately, it's not the best way. I, I, I've i realized that uh, through a couple of positions that I'm at where you can ask, and they can say no and if you don't have any leverage if you don't have any other uh, options you know maybe you got a few money but if you're not ready to leave you really can't do anything else but uh, the the best opportunity you have is moving positions and so that that was how i greatly increased my income probably two and a half times in the recent position uh-huh. it at, outside uh-huh. of equity that's just, yeah. that's just bon- uh, base and bonus was by properly negotiating and it's scary as hell because you you're on the phone and you have this job that you really really want and you don't want to throw it down the drain but that's also the best chance that you have to ask for what you feel you deserve and 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 i got it they they you're saying the
2: new you're saying the new job
0: correct correct the job i'm at currently i i I negotiated very hard because at the time i was a uh fairly high up in the other company i was a i was a general manager Um, and I had a lot of equity in the company and there was a lot of opportunity and, and it was, uh, I was, I was taking a big risk to leave. And so I asked for what I wanted and they, uh, they came back and they fought for me and I have an amazing boss. Um, and he fought for me at the current job and, and got me exactly, uh, almost exactly what I was looking for, which was, uh, roughly about a two and a half times increase.
2: Wow. Well, good for you. And just to reiterate what Jay said, I mean, congrats on the success. It's amazing, and and you've managed the career uh, incredibly well. As much as you're comfortable sharing, John, and normally we ask this at the end, but I think it fits in now. What's been the range of your household income since you started working?
0: Sure. So it's going to vary very widely, and 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 the reason for that is not only job changes but also location changes. Um, there is a different cost of living between the Midwest. And California, and uh it is represented in the pay, but when we started out roughly fourteen fifteen years ago, uh both out of college, my wife and I were both making probably oh starting out about fifty thousand each, so maybe a total gross income of eighty to a hundred somewhere in there and and that grow grew a little bit over the next seven years to we were probably making about a hundred and twenty. Hundred and thirty by the time that we we left uh, the Midwest, and then moving out to California, we immediately went from about hundred and thirty to uh, I want to say probably about two forty between the two of us, and then we went to roughly from two forty to my last position with the change of my last position that went to roughly about two seventy, and now this year. We will make like four fifty, you
2: take. Yeah,
0: yeah. So that was and the big change was just my job for you. I, I, yeah, I was making I was making less 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 than I probably should have been for for a while. But <laughs> it, it was the path to success. You you, you did what you got to do, right? Yeah.
2: So d- does the increase in salary change how you live, or no. has it has it along the way as as you've gotten I, different salary bumps?
0: So 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 yes and no. So I say not at all right away because first off, I found we'll say the fire movement, which I haven't totally jumped on board with, but it's definitely what inspired me—the simple path to wealth and choose FI and so on and so forth. That's what inspired me, and I love the saying of you know. It's not how much you make. It's not how little you spend. It's about how much you make, how much, how little you spend, the, widening the gap between the two and investing the difference. And so that that's part of it. But it, it did change a little bit because we wanted to buy a home. So we did stretch ourselves for that that home to get into that $1.5 million home. Obviously, we could have stayed in an apartment longer um which would actually not been a good financial move for us but we didn't know that at the time so that did change but no besides that it hasn't changed anything um i i bought a wholesale bmw x5 for my last company for seven thousand dollars because i had the 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 back end access to to that, that that opportunity and I will drive that BMW until it falls to pieces and then probably after that. And we we own a Toyota Sienna minivan, a a swagger wagon. And I'll drive – we've bought that outright and I'll drive that until the wheels fall off too. So uh, I guess it changed – what it did change is buying for other people probably, you know, so I'll end up spending a few thousand dollars for Christmas. Or, you know, if we go and we order something, we order some clothes, and my wife is like, hey, I'm going to order some clothes, I I, I need this, I, I haven't had it before, and I need to replace it. And it's like, great, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, how much is it It'd be $150? Okay, that's fine. You know, we don't think about those purchases as much anymore. So that has changed, but we're naturally frugal. So We, it doesn't come close to uh, what we make by any means. I probably, we probably invest about 50% of our income. So
2: So so as the income's grown now, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. 50% is the income's grown now and it continues to grow. I mean, what's next for where that money goes? You said you wanted to buy a house. Is it? Are you going to invest in something specific? Are you going to save for a big purchase? I mean, what happens now with all that? I mean, you're going to. Well, you if you doubled your salary, you'll almost double your savings, give or take. I mean, a higher tax rate, obviously, in California. But what's next here?
0: Yeah. So I would really. I've always kind of had the age in mind. So I'm, I'm currently 38, and I've kind of always had the age in mind of about 47 to 48, where I would like to at least go to. Eighty percent, or or at least retire in my mind that I would only be going to work just because I liked it. Um, and in order to do that, I think it's a couple pieces. One is for the next roughly eight nine years, I want to be purchasing one to two rental properties per year. The first one was a little bit more expensive; it was about two hundred and fifty thousand, as I mentioned earlier. Um, but for these next say seven eight years, I'm I'm hoping to purchase right around eighty to a hundred thousand uh single family homes or maybe you know 1600 two hundred thousand if I found a duplex and uh try to keep to roughly the one percent rule which the next two homes that I do have my eye set on out in the Ohio area, they're roughly eighty, ninety thousand each and I do know that they rent for about eight hundred, nine hundred a month. So uh those those fit within that. So I'd like to get that rental Uh, portfolio uh, built up and then continue to invest as I've been investing in the stocks, but adding more so to the rental portfolio. And then around that 10 year mark, I'm hoping my business is in a place where we can be a little bit more permanent remote work. Uh, it might be there now, but uh, definitely in in ten years as the company grows, my hope is is that it's more of a regional, uh, na- nationwide operation, and I can work from anywhere to sell the home in California uh, and take what'll hopefully be about that 1.2, 1.3 million in equity at that point and go somewhere much lower cost of living, you know, potentially uh, like Texas or the Pacific Northwest, which is not a lot less, but still could buy a home outright and not have a
1: mortgage payment.
0: Yeah, and then, you know, kind of just go from there. But that's that's kind of the general plan right now.
1: So John, as you've gone on this journey and, you, and you've built up this net worth, how do you go about, you know, you say you invest 50% of your your income, Where does each dollar go that comes in? Do you get that match, then invest in real estate, or do you invest in real estate first, pay off your house, obviously? Like, where does it all... How does that kind of tree work for you?
0: Yeah, sure. So, uh, uh, we've never done the Roth, which is probably a, a, a shame on me type of thing, but I've just never done it. And I might not at this point, um, because I'm focusing my dollars elsewhere, um, even though I understand the power of, you know, that, 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 that tax advantage there. But right now, we are maxing out um, both mine and my wife's 401ks, we both get a match of roughly four or 5%. But we still max out to the federal limit of the 19,500 each. That's number one. And like I said earlier, there might also be an opportunity in one of these upcoming years, potentially even next year, where I flex some of my money that's going into uh like wealth front or just individual stocks instead into the mega backdoor Roth, um, which I have through my current company, because then we can do that uh tax advantage count up to I think it's like fifty seven thousand five hundred is the is the max that you can put in there but i probably wouldn't go all that way but to answer distinctly to the question nineteen thousand five hundred after that i i looked at mint what i did and i did this about a year year and a half ago is i looked at mint and i said okay uh, what is our total spend each month and what is our total income each month after the 401k is out and how much money do I have left in between? And then I took that and we invested roughly about 5% into what we'll call moonshots. So I've had Tesla has been in my portfolio. Apple's been in my portfolio. Starbucks is in my portfolio. Al- Alibaba. We had a, <laughs> we had a big win this year. Uh, we had a 600% return, uh, which was not my stock pick, uh, unfortunately. So I don't get bragging rights to that. That was my wife's. That was EXPI which was a virtual-based real estate company that also does instructional uh, design software, which is why my wife knew about it. And that one I bought for about $7, and it's not $60 a share. So uh, that, that's that been a big win. So we have about 5% there. And then past that money, I had been investing roughly about $1,000 into Fundrise, which is also kind of a risky bet but i just wanted to diversify into a, a little bit into a REIT that one hasn't returned all that much but i just continue to do roughly about a 1000 a month and then we've had 5000 a month uh going into the uh wealth front traditional brokerage and the the idea here is we're investing in our retirement first and then secondly we're just going for some uh, small amount for big wins and, and what we can do with that money then is if we get a big win, we just, uh, we usually sell off our initial investment first and then just play with the proceeds. Or if we're planning on a big purchase like a rental property, we roll it into that. And then the traditional brokerage is also besides my, uh, the real estate portfolio, which we're trying to build up that, uh, traditional brokerage is to help bridge the gap between 48 to, you know, 59 and a half, 60 years old when I can start drawing on my 401ks.
1: So in terms of pursuing early retirement or, or having that option, you're to bridge that gap between withdrawing from your, your retirement accounts as real estate and or potential brokerage account or, or equity in your company. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm not counting the equity in the company because that, that could be a windfall. Um, mm-hmm. that, that, that could be in the millions, right? Or it could be nothing. There's really no telling there. So I never really count those. Um, But yeah, it's the the bridge gap. It's more so going to hopefully be the real estate portfolio, which I'd like to get up to about 100,000 a year in uh, real estate income. And then whatever else is coming from just the uh, traditional wealth front brokerage account, which I'll start drawing on uh, once I need to.
1: So in terms of where you're really trying to head is it that is it that 100k mark is that kind of your your goal or is there a net worth target you're trying to hit?
0: I mean there's a number in my mind that I kind of got from the you know take what your expenses are and multiply it by 25 and then pull on a you know four percent but I, that, that one's always in flex in flux um, on what that really means and also if we sell our home uh, in California and go somewhere else then that that cost, decreases huge because we're we're putting out about seven thousand seventy five hundred a month for the home. So we go somewhere else and and that can be cut in in, in half but I am looking at uh, about three million three to four million in the net worth, but the hundred thousand dollars in rental income that would allow my wife to retire and, and then from there I can just pull back to like eighty percent or so and work remotely and I think that will be set for for at least you know four or five six years after that and I'll be pretty happy with that.
2: Nice. Yeah, good for you. Because I was going to ask, with the income coming up as high as it is, right, you're going to get up to 450 or whatever you'll be at, close to that. This net worth is going to start booming here pretty pretty rapidly, right? So is there a certain number that you say, hey, I'm I'm hanging it up? Or or I like that like p- passive income goal. I mean, just because Jace asked about fire, we talked about fire before. Yeah. Any sense of that, or not so much? Just take it as it goes.
0: I yeah. Right now, it's just take it as it goes because I enjoy what I do so much, and, and it and it's also such a a good opportunity and such good income that so I love it and it's great income. You know, so I'm going to continue to do it while I can. But at at some point, yeah, my my kids are eight. Are nine and six right now, uh, you know, in another eight, nine years when they're both teenagers, I'm going to want to start spending more time with them and traveling with them more. So, you know, we get to 45, 46 years old. And if, especially if my company has, you know, that, 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 uh, stock is worth something, I might just say, you know what, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to pull back and I'm going to travel with my family and, my my wife also really wants to do she she wants to be an entrepreneur of something. Um so maybe she gets that opportunity somewhere along the line and and I just let her uh bring, <laughs> support sure. us instead of yeah. instead of uh you know me.
2: Yeah. Is your house paid off? I can't remember if you said.
0: No, neither one of them is paid off. And and it's just because we have such a low interest rate right now, we're we're at about three percent interest rate, uh thirty year fixed, that I, I have no desire to rush that the the other rental property we owe I want to say we owe about 190 on the rental property out of the you know 295 that it's worth and the California home we owe roughly about 1.1 out of the uh, appraised 2 million
2: so you won't take any money and just rush to pay that off because of the lower interest rate
0: Exactly. I can make that by, you know, purchasing another rental property um, sure. or or investing in the market, at least in the long run, uh, to get a five or six percent return over the course of even three to five years in the market is not all that hard to do. So yeah. paying down a three percent loan
2: doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, Jason and I have talked about this several times on the show. We talked about this and we we're interviewed on other shows. But this is something that we have seen consistently and constantly on our podcast is most millionaires are not hurrying to pay down their primary mortgage. And I just think it's interesting because oftentimes I think Dave Ramsey amongst others sells that that's what they do and sells that that's what they should do. And certainly we've had several on the show that have, right? There's no doubt about it. But So a couple hundred millionaires and a small percentage of them have paid off their primary home. So it's just an interesting tidbit and, and something that we we continue to see. So, John, when did all this start? How aggressive were you investing when you first started your job? Or is this something you learned along the way?
0: Yeah, definitely learned along the way. Um, The the majority of my net worth has been over the last, I'd say, three to four years, unfortunately. And that's one of the big mistakes that I made. For the first, I'd say, eight, nine years, none of the companies that I worked for had a 401k. And so I didn't do anything. I said I don't have a four hundred and one k, so I, there's nothing for me to invest in. So I'll just save money, right? We'll just stick it in a savings account, and I, I just hate myself for that because uh, I can see the the compounding interest uh, opportunity that I had over the course of those eight nine years. But I got into it really late, and there's a there's a saying that I love that kind of talks to this that says, you know, if you look around and your circle. Of people around you does not inspire you, you don't have a circle, you have a cage. And and that was I had a lot of great friends for, you know, before California. But a lot of my friends were similar mindsets as me, they were they were happy, they were set, they weren't doing anything special, they weren't investing, they weren't looking for what's a big opportunity, how do I increase my net worth or anything like that. And so neither was I. And it wasn't until I got to California and started to build a network of people that were very, very driven and and looking to better themselves and looking to, you know, uh, better their their financial future that I started to get into it. So I have a couple friends around me. One, I look up to just because he has three or four rental properties, uh, Airbnb's, He's got some very, very nice cars, which that's that's his choice. I'm not sure that I would go that way, but he's got a, you know, very, very nice Porsche. And, you know, I, I would love to have that one day, but he's done very well for himself and he has that opportunity. And then I have another friend and this is specifically when it started. I have another friend. We were sitting. I remember we we're sitting having dim sum with the families and I had asked him what he had been up to. And he's like, oh, you know, I'm, I've i been listening to a lot of uh, FIRE podcasts. What the heck is FIRE? And this is two, two and a half years ago, give or take. And uh, he was like, oh, it's, you know, this the concept of financial independence and, and retire early and Mr. Money Mustache and the 4% rule. I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? And so he explained it to me. He's like, you, you take this, and you take your cost of living and multiply it by 25. And then that's your what you need to get to an investment net worth. Then you can pull on it at 4% and you live off basically what you know, the, the, the account is making and never draw on the principal. And, you know, you live happily ever after. And at, at the time, it was just such a vague concept to me, but I really got excited. And I'm the type of person that once I decide to do something, I do it. There's uh, when I wanted a rental property, it was in the pandemic, I decided I wanted a rental property. And within like two months, I I owned a rental property. And I was driving to, uh, you know, from California, to the rental property, like a 12 hour drive, uh, to go look at this property and and sign the paperwork and everything like that. And I just I do it. Um, so as soon as I want to do something, I just do it and I lock onto it and I have 120% of my energy goes to it. And so I started listening to Choose F5 and um, Paula Pant and uh, Millionaire's Unveiled and you know so on and so forth, all of these different shows. And I kept getting more and more and more and more excited because... I realized there is a few different ways you can go. You can go stocks, you can go equities, you can go real estate, you can go do your own business. But in general, there's a couple basic concepts that uh, anybody can put into play. And, And so once I just understood them just a little bit better... Uh, I started putting those, those into place. And so I was making sure I was maxing out the accounts and I was making, I opened up the wealth front um, account and I started looking at property and I started really uh, looking at our budget and just looking at some of the reoccurring payments that I could reduce. And over, I, I, I was just told my, my dad yesterday, we had gone on a trip in October of 2018 together. And I had just hit, seven figures. And i was so excited. And I remember showing it to them and saying, I just hit a million dollars. And now, October, this year, I was at 1.55. So over the course of one year, it went up $500,000. And a lot of that helps with the equity of the home. But there's other things that play there. So I, I just, as soon as I saw it, and I saw the opportunity, and I started watching that number go up, it, it just became a passion for me.
1: That's awesome, John. I want to ask a little bit about the the circle that you've grown and some of the friends that you mentioned. You said you had friends that that weren't on this path and then you basically got some that that were on this path. How did that happen? How did you make this circle of yours a lot tighter and and people that had a more similar mindset to you? Where did you find them and and how did you become friends with them?
0: Yeah, I... I I, I, I wish I had like a good answer for this as far as this is what you can do. Um, unfortunately, it, I, I think it almost happened a little bit organically just due to the environment that we put ourselves in. So maybe that's the answer. It, it's the environment. We moved out of the Midwest where a, a good people in the Midwest, uh, i I since we've been here, we walk down the street. And every time I'm out walking, somebody crosses next to us, and they tell you good morning or hello. That doesn't happen in California, people are moving a million miles a minute. But the change in environment did start to uh, I I got to meet a lot of my my kids friends through school. And that's where a lot that's where all these came from pretty much is, is the kids. Uh, parents that we got to know. Um, but because of the environment that we're in, instead of them working, you know, as a police officer, or as uh, a teacher, or as a CPA, like my my dad or your, yourselves, you know, a lot of the, the, the bread and butter type of jobs, you get a lot of people that are working as engineers, or um, CFOs, or uh, VCs, or, you know, things like that. And then just through those people, you start to grow the other networks of people that they know and you be start to become friends with them. And, and, and that's really, it, it started to blossom very, very quickly from there. So just changing my environment minds um, that I was in, in um, the mindset of the people around me because of that environment, that's what really started to drive that.
1: Did your parents have any influence on, on the way that you handle money today?
0: Uh, yeah, of course I did uh, To to, to some point at least. Not on the investing side. Um, I've talked to my dad about this a lot, especially since we've been home recently this time and you know, talking about getting on this show and talking about investments. He never did investments. Um, he did his 401k. That was it. Uh, he, I think he invested in one other stock and it went terrible for him. And so they never did anything special, never had any rental properties, never did anything like that. And they never talked to me about money. He never told me what the, he made, um, what my mom made, um how they manage their money anything like that um but he did both my mom and my dad taught me the value of hard work and so that has helped me a lot in my career it, it you you do want to work smart but it also helps to be the, the 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 go-to person that people know that you can be accountable and they know they can hand something to you and you're just going to execute. So he didn't specifically teach me about money, but he taught me the value of a dollar and he taught me the value of working hard. And because of that, that has helped me be as driven as I am now. And and that's been a part of getting to me getting me to where I'm at now.
2: So, John, I know we're getting short on time here, and I want to ask you a couple of rapid fire questions, but just before that, real quick, I'm curious on your motivation now and how that shifted through the years in terms of growing your income and growing your net worth. What's your big motivator now? Is it to retire early? Is it to have this flexibility? Is it to is it because it's a game and you want to grow the net worth? I mean, what, what's the deep motivation here for you, and how has that shifted as your net worth has grown?
0: Yeah. I, I think I've, you know, I, I, I've i realized that we have one life to live and, and we only have so much time. And I really want to have uh, time in my life to spend with my kids and spend with my wife and, and to travel um and to get to enjoy life some. And so right now, when I am able and I have the opportunity and I have the energy and I'm in these prime years of my life. Um, I really am focused on building that network and building that rental portfolio and that passive income. Um, so at, at 45, 46, 47, 48, I can start to back off and I can really enjoy the time and get to know my family and get to spend more time with them and traveling. Uh, assuming COVID goes away and we all get to travel again one of these days, there's a lot of places I want to go. So I think that's a big part of it. It's just time with the family, uh, flexibility. Uh, in our life and and the opportunity to get to enjoy life and traveling.
2: Yeah, good answer. Good for you. So how old were you when you became a millionaire?
0: I would have been 36.
2: 36. Okay. And what do you spend a year annual household spending?
0: That's a tough one. And I I probably shouldn't be. um, But unfortunately, the way way I've set up Mint is it tracks my, my stock spending as well. Um, if I take the stock spending out, I would say roughly give or take, it's probably right around 120,000 a year, give or take with the mortgage.
2: Okay. And then have you ever used a financial advisor?
0: Never, never. Okay. I'm actually trying to get, I actually just told my uh, sister to break it off with her financial advisor
2: because <laughs> she can do it herself. Because you can do it for her. Because <laughs> she can
0: do it. It's no, easy. The she... simple path to wealth
2: yeah yeah uh what uh, what items or experiences have been worth spending more money on to you
0: experiences i would say for one Uh, so so that's going to be travel or opportunities to do something to go to go see a really good broadway show to go see hamilton to spend a night out on the town uh also food we're, we're not foodies um but we we do enjoy going to a good restaurant you know and treating ourselves because most of the time we're very frugal and we're just cooking up some some rice and meat and, yeah. and veggies at home but we'll go out to like french laundry or you know uh the other there's a, there's like 53 michelin star restaurants in california so uh in the san francisco area so i'd like to start trying more of them <laughs>
2: Well, let me let me ask. Well, first of all, do you already go to the Broadway shows? Do you come out to New York, or you just do it when they tour?
0: Just do it when they tour. Uh, New York would be awesome, but yeah, I haven't gotten to that level yet.
2: All right. Well, next time you're here, we'll connect. But what's the most expensive you you spend on one of your Michelin star food on (laughs) one of your restaurants?
0: Probably about four hundred for two people, maybe five hundred.
2: Okay. And what's been your best trip? Any favorite trip?
0: Probably our honeymoon, which was uh, Europe. So we went to Paris and to Italy, Tuscany, and we're, we're looking to go back again here soon after COVID, either there or Greece we would like to go to, but Europe was the best trip by far.
2: Well, awesome, John. Thanks for hanging with us. So just in closing here, I know you've given a lot of advice. Any mistakes that you've made or any final advice that you give to somebody who's just starting out their journey?
0: Yeah, I I, I would say two things is one you can make it too. Like I said, I started in a tire shop and and and, and changing tires and selling tires and selling oil changes, and and, and now I'm at one of the larger high tech companies in in Silicon Valley. So you know you can make it there as well. It, it's it's hard work and it's perseverance and it's pushing forward and it's it's knowing that you have the capability to do it. And also, I would just say it, it's the investing and and Building your net worth and building your portfolio, it's not hard. It seems scary, but, you know, take some time, listen to some podcasts, you know, listen to millionaires unveil, hear what other people say, you know, uh, read the simple path, the wealth, you know, just hear what these people have to say. It's not difficult. It just, uh, you just need to start. So you can't start too early. I started way, way late, probably about 32, 33 before I really got ramped up. So now I'm trying to get my sister, she's 10 years younger than me. I'm trying to get her on the right path well before I ever did, um, because it's time in market, not time in the market.
2: Awesome, man. Well, thanks for plugging our show too. I'll send you, I'll send you the payment on that after the show here. <laughs> All right, buddy. That's John Networth of over 1.5 million. Thanks again for coming on. Thanks, guys.
1: Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories,
0: investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at
1: millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.